there's this crisis going on in the church. And the crisis is this. The gospel is the center of what gives us life. In fact, as we've already read in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it's the power of God unto salvation. And, and if the gospel is truly that powerful, you and I should be able to have that written on our hearts if we're Christ followers. We should be able to tell others about it. And yet, one of the crises that is plaguing the American church especially is that churches are around the country, and yes, sadly, even around the globe, can't tell you what the gospel is. Well, if we can't tell others what the gospel is, how are we going to share the good news of Jesus Christ? And so, that's what we're trying to curb here in this series. So last week, we started into defining and defending the gospel, and today I want to continue on that. Let's define what the gospel is, and then let's defend it, because there are a lot of false gospels that are being taught out there today. You can flip on the radio, you can flip on the TV, you can buy all kinds of books, and they're sadly enough, even in the Christian bookstores, and they're selling the false gospel. And some of them aren't selling a false gospel. Some are selling an incomplete gospel. And and you know, it's almost like you only see half of the puzzle because the other half has been removed and then you can't see and then you can't embrace and then you can't marvel at the glorious beauty of what God has done. We need the whole picture of the gospel. By the way, just connecting last series with this series, today, which is uh, June 8th, is Pentecost Sunday. What happened on Pentecost? That was the, that the Holy Spirit was sent from God to come down and to dwell in us. You and I have been given as children of God, if you're a Christ follower, the deposit, and we're told in the Bible that that is the sign and the seal. It's, it's just the foretaste of better things to come, that we've been given that gift, and because of that gift, you and I are able to interact with God, that you and I are able to read the Scriptures and understand the Scriptures because we've been given this deposit of the Holy Spirit, and that's what today, as far as the Christian calendar goes, represents. And especially in Protestant churches, we've really kind of thrown that off to the wayside, which is really unfortunate, but it's important for us to remember that today commemorates when the Holy Spirit was given. Pentecost is, is 50 days after the resurrection. Remember, Jesus was uh, on the earth uh, for 40 days after the resurrection. Then He ascended into heaven, which is an amazing part of the glorious gospel. And then 10 days later, as the apostles were in the upper room, actually there was about 120 disciples there together that's when the Holy Spirit was given. So, all those things being said, the gospel, as as we've talked already in this series, has been changed, it's been modified, it's been propped up. Um, You you know, you can go to churches today, and some churches are very, 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 very good at entertaining, but the gospel is lost at times in the midst of whatever it is that they do. that's really sad. It's really unfortunate because what has ultimately happened is that they've lost the power because the power of God is found in the gospel of God. The gospel's been adjusted, and ultimately what's happened, it's been prostituted. It's been emasculated as a result of it. The, have you ever seen Christians just that seem powerless 
to, to change their lives more to the glory of God, it's because they're not living a gospel-saturated life. You see, the gospel, when it comes into us and when it saturates us, the gospel by its very nature is the power of God given to us and therefore it changes us. If you have the gospel of God dwelling in you, the good news of Jesus Christ, the power of God is in you through the power of this Holy Spirit, your life cannot help but be changed. You can't help but being changed because the power of God is the gift inside of you. And what has happened is inadequate, incomplete gospels, false gospels have been presented. And you see people unable to change their lives to the glory of God. It's because they're not fully trusting the gospel. In fact, just to kind of take this a little bit further to really illustrate this and how it has really impacted Christianity today, during the Middle Ages, there was a particular church group that took God's glorious gospel, as Paul calls, calls it, and what they did is they devised a system, and at the end of the day, it doesn't really represent what the gospel is. What they said was, well, you need faith and you need this. You need faith and works. And when you add anything to the gospel, what happens is, is you've prostituted the gospel. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Because at the end of the day, Jesus is everything. Jesus is all we need. And what has happened is they created a system of salvation that was faith plus their ideas. And today, that church group claims to have the largest number of Christians on the planet. If you're kind of curious what that is, I'll give you a hint. It's based out of room. Listen to what God has said about changing His gospel through the Apostle Paul to the Galatian church. If you're kind of curious where I'm at, I'm going to throw it up here on the screen for you. This is Galatians chapter 1, verses uh, 6 through 10. Listen to, to what has happened. What has happened in the Galatian church is there's this group called the Judaizers, and there's Gentile converts, that's to say non-Jew converts, and, you know, for the Jews, circumcision is a really important thing, but as, as people are coming to, to Christ and putting their faith in Him, believing the gospel, there's Gentiles that now begin to believe, and the Jews are saying, but they need to be circumcised too. Well, that's saying faith plus what? Works. And so what happens is you have the first Jerusalem council, which we see in Acts chapter 15. That's the reason that Paul goes up to Jerusalem, is they begin to deal with this, this issue of Judaizers. And so what Paul does is in the meantime, he writes this letter back to the Galatian church, which was where this issue really began, and there was a group that was coming along behind Paul, and they were making all kinds of trouble. That's what led to all this stuff. And this is what the Apostle Paul says. Now listen, you might say, well, this is just Paul, but remember, this is coming from the Holy Scriptures, and the Holy Scriptures, the Bible is what? God's word to us, right? It's holy, it's inspired, it's divine, you can rely on it, you can take it to the bank all the time. So this just isn't the Apostle Paul's ideas. This is God speaking to us about what the Galatians were believing. Now let me kind of clarify this. I'm astonished, this is the Apostle Paul, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you to the grace of Christ and are turning to, listen, do you see the words? a different 
gospel. In other words, a false gospel. You guys are believing something different than what is God's words given to us, God's good, glorious gospel. Not that there is another one. This is him saying that there is no other gospel. But there are some who trouble you, those are the Judaizers, and they want to distort the gospel. They want to say that it's Christ plus something. And when you add anything to Jesus, you have nothing. Verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. This is one of the strongest words that you'll see in the New Testament. Um, Other translations use this word anathema. Let him have the curse of God come down upon him because they're telling you something that is different than God's message from God himself. This is how strong of a warning, this is how strong of, of an issue preaching a false gospel is. People who preach a false gospel bring God's, God's judgment down upon themselves. D- do you hear that? Like, that's just scary stuff. Verse 9, as we've said before, so now I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be an anathema. Let him be accursed. Not, Paul doesn't just say it once. He says it twice. And when Paul says something twice, what do we do as parents, right? If we have to say something twice, it's because emphasis. You gotta get this. For, for am I now seeking the approval of man? You know, it might seem like verse 9 and verse 10 are disconnected. But let me tell you the reason why so many people today are preaching false gospels because they're giving in to the will and the way of men. Why are so many people preaching and teaching that which is not of God's glorious gospel? Because they're wanting to soothe. They're they're wanting to take the edge off of maybe how offensive the gospel is. But listen, the gospel's offensive. By nature, here's what the gospel says. Some people are going to hell, some people are going to heaven. And if you don't repent, if you don't believe, you are going to hell. Now let me tell you, is that a way to earn friends? There, there, there are the, 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 uh, the nation's largest Protestant church down in Texas Guy writes several books, has a big smile, always has his wife with him. If you kind of get who I'm talking about, Joel Osteen, but I wouldn't say that. 54,000 people on a weekend go there. 54,000. And Joel Osteen has came out in articles and says, I don't want to use the word sin because it's offensive. He's only used the word sin twice in interviews since he started his ministry. The gospel by very nature is offensive, but it's the glorious gospel that turns us towards God. And if we preach a false gospel, this is how big this topic is, we are accursed because the gospel doesn't belong to us. The gospel is whose message? It's God's. 
And what Paul is saying here, listen, there's lots of people here who, who, who would want to just, there's lots of people out there who would just want to make that softer. There's lots of people out there that don't want to be as offensive. But listen, who are we aiming to please here? For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I couldn't be a servant of Christ. Couldn't be a servant of Christ. Here's the issue of, of, of how significant this is with us knowing the gospel. When we mess with redefining the gospel, we're messing with that which belongs directly with God. When, when we mess with the gospel, when we taint the gospel, when we change the gospel, when we, maybe just even out of a lack of knowledge, just don't, don't show the, the complete gospel, that message belongs to God himself. And it's so sacred, so powerful, it, people have died for it. What right do we have to try to change the fact that, that people have died for this glorious gospel, let alone that our Savior, Jesus Christ, died to give it to us? Who are we to change it? Who are we to taint it? Who are we to, to soften it up so that it's more palatable for people to digest? Well, I've been thinking a little bit about this. What is the gospel in light of all these things? Think about this with me. We have gospel music. We have gospel tracks. We have gospel crusades. We have gospel events. And yet so many folks cannot clearly define what the gospel is. Ask somebody what the gospel is and you'll get different answers. So we spent a lot of time last week defending or defining rather what what the gospel isn't, so if you weren't here, let me encourage you to go back and listen to that. But today, I want to define what the gospel is, and I can say it very simply in one simple statement so that we'll always get what the gospel is. You can always see if you're on track or off track with the gospel. Here it is. The gospel, in biblical terms, when we're talking about what the Bible says about the gospel, the gospel is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You and I are recipients of the gospel, but, but don't confuse the recipients of the gospel, don't confuse the product of the gospel with the gospel, right? That's like confusing at times a symptom of a larger issue, right? If you're, if you're feeling pain, the issue isn't your pain, the issue is, is that you've dropped something on your foot, right? That's the source, the, the source of the gospel, the gospel is about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Who Jesus is, who he was, who he is, who he always will be, you need to know those three components because God is past, God is present, and God is future. He's the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? So Jesus has always existed the Son of God has always existed and always will exist. You need to know, to be able to define the gospel, you need to know what Jesus' work was, what it is, and what it will be. You also need to know what the work of Jesus was, 
what it is and what it will be. Do you see the different tenses? We've already talked about the work of Jesus. That was our last series, remember? We talked about the cross, we talked about the resurrection, we talked about the ascension, and then we talked about what we celebrate today is Pentecost, the sending of the Holy Spirit. Because there's been times that I've even had these moments, and maybe you have too, to where you're like, oh man, if Jesus was just right here with me and could tell me and talk to me, I, I would really appreciate that I could know what God wants me to do. God's given us that. In fact, Jesus said that it is better for us that he went away. You see, you and I are living in even a more privileged time in church history than even the apostles. You might say, well, wait a second, how could that be? Because I, I would have been able to see those things. But we're living in a period of time to where God has given us the deposit of the Holy Spirit and we're able to look back and we live especially in a country where we're not receiving religious persecution in extensive great ways. I mean, it's beginning to get there in, in certain areas, but Nothing like during the time of the apostles where if you proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus that you would off with your head. So the gospel for us to always remember is the person and the work of Jesus. Those are the fundamental questions that we need to ask. Past, present, and future what was Jesus like? What is he like? What will he be like? The gospel, the, 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 the Bible has all of that information. What was the work of Jesus? What is the work of Jesus right now? Because right now, Jesus is still doing work. What is Jesus doing right now? Do you remember the ascension and the purpose of the ascension? He's at the right hand of the Father in heaven, and he's interceding right now on our behalf so that when we sin, that if we repent of that sin, if we ask for forgiveness, what does he do? He turns to the Father and he says, my blood has covered them. Jesus is still at work right now, even though he's glorified in heaven. And by the way, Jesus' work isn't complete yet. Because remember, he's going to come, up, come back. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. Remember the season of Advent? We celebrate the first coming and what? The second coming and anticipation of his return. By the way, those are the fundamental components of the gospel message. Do you remember last week we talked about really only two of the words, or two of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Only two of the four gospels use the word gospel in it. Euanglion, or euangelion. Only two of the Gospels. So why do we call them Gospels? Because they contain the message of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's why we call them the Gospel. So to get back to defining this even further, let me take you back to, to the book of Romans. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, would you turn with me back to Romans chapter 1, we're going to go verses 1 through 6, and then I'm going to skip a little. We didn't skip those verses last week, but I'm going to skip some verses and then take you back to verses 16 and 17. If you don't have your Bible with you, I have it on the screen, and hopefully that'll be useful for you. 
Romans chapter 1. The, the book of Romans, in case you haven't been able to be with us throughout this series and weren't here last week, the book of Romans is a book that the Apostle Paul writes when he's in Corinth to, to the Roman Christians. Now, he's never been to Rome, but he knows some, some Roman Christians because Paul's done an awful lot of traveling, and people have actually moved to Rome uh, by the time that he, he writes this letter. And the, the book of Romans is about 16 chapters of telling and defining what the gospel is and then what the outcome of the gospel is. That is to say, what does our salvation look like? By the way, that's our next series. So, so what are, once we receive and embrace this salvation, what are the benefits? How do we live out that salvation? And, and, and so many Christians are aren't experiencing the fullness and the glory of God's gift of salvation because we don't, we don't know the dynamics and the fullness of that salvation. So that's the purpose of this letter. So this is the only letter that the Apostle Paul wrote where he wasn't dealing with any kind of heresies or battles or anything like that or trying to correct anything. So he's writing them specifically about, let me define the gospel for you. Paul a servant. By the way, the, the word that's used here in the Greek is doulos. It really means a bondservant. I don't know if you know what a bondservant is, but a bondservant, it's, in fact, it's, when you read the word servant or slave in the New Testament, oftentimes it refers to this Greek word, which is doulos. And what would happen is if you loved your master so much that you decided that, you, you know, um, I don't work here because I have to. I don't work here because I was purchased by. I work here because I have come to love the one that I work for. What would happen is you were no longer considered just a regular slave. You were now considered a, a, a doulos. And what they would do is, is they would take you over to, to the doorpost, and they would take a nail, and right here in, in the earlobe, which is the same place where gals get their ear pierced, they, they would have you lean up against the doorpost. They would take a nail, and they would take a hammer, and they would, boom, nail it through there, and they would put basically an earring in there where they had just pierced, and that was a sign that you were now a bonser, that you were a slave of love. And this is, this is Paul's imagery that he's using here for us to get that we are a bondservant, that we, we serve God, we're a servant of God, we're a slave to God, not because we have to, but because I choose to, because I love him. So I'm a, a doulos, a bondservant of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, which means a sent one, set apart, which is the same word in the Greek where we get the word Pharisee, that we're set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. In other words, this glorious gospel, all 39 books of your Old Testament allude to and foretell about the coming gospel of Jesus Christ concerning his son, namely Jesus Christ, who was descended from David. That means that he has the right to be the king of Israel according to the flesh. He was declared to be son of God in the power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me just kind of explain that phrase there. The resurrection was God's affirmation that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was acceptable. It appeased him. 
You, you see, the cross needed to be painful. The cross needed to be horrible because our, our, our sins were placed on Jesus and the wrath of God was, was poured down upon Jesus Christ. Now listen, he died. He died completely, physically. He was in the grave for three days, but the fact that God raised him from the dead on the third day is evidence, it's proof that God, that, that God was appeased that God's wrath was satisfied by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about obedience, and this is what we got to get. If you are a partaker of the gospel, the, the, the part, point of the gospel is for faith and obedience. Obedience to the faith for the sake of His name among all nations. By the way, when you're saved, it's not just so you can get a hell out of get out uh, get a get out of hell free card, so that you can be a partaker, and so that salvation is all about you. Salvation isn't really all about us. You know what salvation is about? God's glory, God's great glory. And when we are partakers of His gospel, when we're saved, it brings great glory and exaltation to God. At least it should depending on how we as Christians live, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Now listen, I'm going to skip down to verse 16 because I want you to see this. So if you're following along in your own Bible, go from verse 6 all the way up to 16. should be a different paragraph for you, and this is what it says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. The gospel, the gospel of God is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek second. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, the fact that I'm condemned to die, man, that shouldn't, that's just the raw end of the deal, isn't it? Because have you ever been talking to somebody about Jesus and you talk to them and when you get to the part about sin, someone might say, well, just because Adam sinned doesn't mean that, that I should inherit sin. That's just awfully unfair. Well, God made it awfully fair. Because, you see, he, what he did is he took care of all that. You can't get around the theological truth that we have all inherited sin. Since the, the sin of Adam and Eve all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, all of us have inherited sin. But to level the playing field, here's what God did. He gave us the gospel. He said, you know, I realize that this isn't fair. So I am going to reconcile this. I'm going to take care of it all myself that the justice of God might be met in the work of Jesus Christ. So that now all that we need to do is believe in the name of the Lord Jesus, which by the way means trust. Trust in Jesus, trust his ways, trust him, and then obey him, which involves repentance. If we do those things... We're golden. We are, as what the Bible says, we're saved. Let me kind of clarify this a little bit. 
The gospel doesn't tell us something to do. You got to get that. The gospel doesn't tell us something to do because what is the gospel? The gospel is clearly about Jesus and his work. The person of Jesus and his work. That doesn't tell me anything to do. The gospel tells us something that has been done. The gospel is about the good work of Jesus Christ. The gospel is about who Jesus always was, who he is, and who he will be. The gospel is about what his work was, what his work is, and what his work will be. The gospel doesn't tell us to do anything. The gospel is about what Jesus did. However, we do not do the gospel. We do the, what do we do? We do the law. You see, God gave the Israelite people, the Jewish people, He gave them what? He gave them the law. He gave them the law so that they could see that God's standards are are high and that we need to obey God to please God. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I as recipients of of the Holy Spirit, as recipients of God's grace, as recipients of, of faith, which is given to us through grace, what do we do now? Now we obey God. What do we obey? What is it that we're to obey? The law. We're to obey, not ceremonial law, we're to obey, and that's an area that sometimes people are confused, is they just want to put the law, the Mosaic law, all in one category. It's not all in one category. Ceremonial law is all abolished. Why? Because that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Rather, the moral law, you and I, that's what we do. Let me kind of give you the gospel in a nutshell before I wrap up, because I'm very close here. I want to give you the gospel in a nutshell, and this is, it should be on, on your handout. It's kind of a, a long statement with several blanks to fill in if you want to follow along. But I want to give you the gospel so that you can say, okay, so I'm hearing now that the gospel is about the person and the work of Jesus Christ, but what does that look like? Well, let me give it to you. The gospel is the good, good news that the holy, just, gracious God of all created things, this God, He looked down upon sinful, rebellious, and as a result, hopeless humanity, and He sent us His Son, namely, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was God in the flesh to bear the wrath that you and I deserve because of being sinful and hopeless and rebellious. Jesus took on then our sin and died on the cross, that that excruciating pain, that severe punished death, he took that on on the cross to appease God's wrath against us. In other words, he, he died in our place, and so now God's justice was appeased. So, and so God resurrected Jesus on the third day because his justice had been appeased. And by the way, all this stuff had been prophesied by the holy prophets and proved that Jesus was who he claimed to be. As a result, God has exalted Jesus 
according to the scriptures, he's given, given Jesus a name that is above all names. That at the name of Jesus, every name should, uh, uh, every tongue should confess and that Jesus is Lord and every knee shall bow. So he's exalted Jesus. And what has happened also is not only has he exalted Jesus, but he's given us grace so that anyone who trusts, and this is the word that we use oftentimes, believe, anyone who trusts in the finished work, the work that Jesus did is finished. Anyone who trusts in the finished work of Jesus Christ and repents, repent is just a word that's used to say turn away from their sins will be reconciled to God forever because Jesus is now at the right hand of God in heaven interceding on our behalf of those who trust in him through faith. There's the gospel in the nutshell. That's the gospel message. That's the good news. Remember, this here is all about telling you the work of Jesus, who Jesus was and the work of Jesus. And the work of Jesus was done so that, what? God would be glorified and that we would be saved. In Jesus, both the justice of God was appeased and the grace of God was extended. The gospel is all about Jesus Christ. That is why, let me bring this full circle to last week, that is why the gospel is not God has a wonderful plan for your life. That's not the gospel. Because what that, if I'm saying that, that's about what? You. The gospel is about Jesus, not about us. And that's why, by the way, gospel is not, oh, by the way, let me give you five steps to peace with God. Peace is a product of the gospel. Peace is not the gospel. The gospel is not getting you better at something because that puts it all about you again. The gospel is not, to quote one of Joel Osteen's book, being a better you. That's not the gospel because it's not about you. Uh, Or another book is Your Best Life Now. Let me tell you something. If this is your best life that you're ever going to experience now, chances are you're going to go to hell. Because if this is the best that it ever gets, boy, are we in trouble. This life is filled with pain. This life is filled with turmoil. This life is filled with all kinds of things. There is a better life coming. Don't be deceived. Don't let somebody tell you another gospel. Don't let somebody else sell you something that isn't right. As the Apostle Paul warned the Galatians, the gospel is all about Jesus and the good news about Jesus. What happens is when, when that is presented, it begs by its very nature a response. When you hear the gospel, it begs a response. Let me kind of illustrate. We're on a plane together. You and I are on a plane together. <clears throat> I discover that the plane is going down. It's inevitable. Pilots are gone. I don't know. They parachuted out. They're gone, right? And unlike you see on TV and heroism, we're not going to radio over the plane and say, is anyone a pilot here? Can anyone help? The plane's going down, okay? Got it? And here's what happens. I find a couple parachutes. I take one, I put one on, and then I say to you, you want a parachute? The plane is going down. 
that begs a response. Just in case you don't know, what do you mean it begs a response? Well, you have several options. You could say, I'm good. That might be nice for you. I'm glad it works for you. It's just not going to work for me. Isn't that what we hear sometimes about Christianity? It works for you, but it doesn't work for me. By the way, that, that's totally illogical, and it violates the law of non-contradiction. Another option is, you could say, well, sure, I'll take it. I'll be nice to you. I'll, I'll take it. But then you don't use it. Is that parachute any good? Nope. Why? Because you didn't use it. You're going to crash and burn with the plane while I'm parachuting. The other option is what? You take it and you parachute out right with me. And we're both, as a result, saved. By the very nature of presenting the gospel about what Jesus, who Jesus is and, and what he did and, and what his work looked like, just by presenting it, it begs a response. And so what does that response look like? Well, it depends on the people. And what happens is people can either respond to the gospel actively or passively. When people hear that gospel, they're going to respond all kinds of different ways. Someone will actively embrace it. And then, and by the way, those are oftentimes very few. Others will be passive about it. Well, I'm glad it works for you, but I found something else that works for me, or I don't believe the gospel. Let me tell you, whether or not you believe that the plane is going down doesn't change the reality that the plane is going down. You can't create your own truth. People can either actively or passively respond to the gospel. On the other hand, here's what happens when someone responds to the gospel. There's something supernatural that happens, and we can't minimize this. If someone responds to the gospel, what happens is that there's a supernatural awakening by God then you will be saved from God's wrath. You, you see, what happens is when God saves you, the work that he began in you, he will bring about to completion. It's not that God is going to lose some and say, whoa, I tried my best to hold on to that one, but by golly, he just, I couldn't hold on to him. Well, that makes God a, a pretty weak God. What God begins in us he will take on to completion. So what does that response look like? You will trust God if you respond to the gospel or if someone responds to the gospel. The Bible uses the word believe. And I'm so afraid to use the word believe in our contemporary American culture because I think that we relegate it to intellectual assent because we can believe in this, and there's people who believe in Santa Claus. And, yeah, you get it? I don't know if there's any kiddos. Easter Bunny, you can believe in all kinds of things, but that doesn't make things true. Or someone could say, well, I believe in God. Well, according to James chapter 2, even the demons believe, and you know what it says? Yet they tremble. 
what, what believe in the New Testament means is that we trust God, that God has done something inside of us that it readjusts us so that we begin to trust Him in everything. And what happens then is our response, in addition to trusting God, is that we obey God. We, we, we use this word repent. We turn away. We see, oh, God wants us to do that. Well, I've been doing this, so I'm going to turn and I'm going to change. That doesn't happen just because of your own self-will. That happens because God supernaturally has empowered you to be able to do that. These two responses are given to us as free gifts from God. That's what Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 is all about. So where does that leave us? Let me kind of give you three wrap-ups. Where does that leave us? leaves us here. Understand this. The objective or, or the goal of the gospel is to bring about God's glory and God's salvation to his people. Don't believe me? Romans chapter 1, verse 16, and Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. I'd encourage you, by the way, I'll give you uh, quite a few scriptures for each of these wrap-ups. I'd encourage you to go back and read personally each of those scriptures. I think that they'll encourage you. I think that they'll strengthen your faith. I think that they will be good for, for your spiritual maturity. Faith and obedience are evidences of salvation. An evidence of how, how do I know if I'm really saved? By the way, we're going to talk more about that in our, our next series. How do, I, how do I really know that if I'm saved? I mean, how do I know that I know that I know? We use this word, how do I have assurance of salvation? Well, you can have assurance of salvation. God wants you to have assurance of salvation. God just doesn't say, oh, you're my child now, but I just don't want to give you that confidence that you're my child. That's foolish. We can have assurance of our salvation and faith and obedience, by the way, to what God teaches is evidence that we are truly saved. Don't believe me? Acts chapter 15, verse 7, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, 1 Peter 4, 7, Romans 1, 5, also Romans 10, 16, Romans 16, 26, and 2 Thessalonians 1, 8. Those are only a few. Let me kind of give you the last thing here. God has revealed his love to you as a recipient of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, how do I know that God loves me? He's told you the way for salvation. He's given, he's extended that offer to you. So that kind of begs the question then, leaving us here, which is where we're going to pick up next week, as, as the one man asked, what must I do then to be saved? What then must I do to be saved? That's what we're going to pick up next week to find out how do we respond to the gospel. We know all of these things intellectually and we've seen them scripturally, but what am I to do? How do I respond? Or, or maybe this, how can I then tell somebody, just personally, me personally, how can I just tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ and give them the opportunity to know Jesus Christ personally? We're going to talk about those very things next week. So let me encourage you to come back. If you're not able to be with us next week, it's unfortunate, but uh, find out uh, either on our website or a CD so that way you can be sure not to miss any of this stuff.